On today's podcast, your hosts, Chris, Nicole, and TC go through round three of our random questions. Okay, and we are back. So thank you everybody who keeps submitting amazing questions. Um, we don't know how many rounds of questions <laughs> we've signed up for, but uh, we'll do some topics like just episodes focused on specific topics probably coming up soon and then have plenty of Q&A to revisit. Um, it's exciting to hear what you guys are interested in and learning more about and also challenges us to have like good explanations. So uh, yeah, so thank you for everybody who's been listening, submitting questions. We just want to first thank the listeners because you guys make the podcast. Um, any life updates? No. <laughs> Everyone turned it off because they thought the podcast ended. Um, yeah. I don't think so. I mean, we're currently on our way back um, to North Carolina. Um, we have some events coming up we need to travel for, so we've packed up. So yeah, we'll be in North Carolina for all of like three hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what it feels like. Um, but yeah, we got some exciting things coming up, uh, then the Arnold obviously and, um, yeah, nothing crazy. Yeah. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see that we're in a different location (laughs) and we have these really cool turtles on the table. I'm obsessed with these turtles. Yes, she is. We're, we were looking for an Airbnb to stay in. Um, and the owner put these blown glass turtles in every single picture. It was like they were on the bed. And they were in the kitchen. They were in the bathroom. They were by the TV. And uh, first of all, I'm a really un- indecisive person. So picking an Airbnb took way too long. But I just kept coming back to these turtles. So now we're here. And... I was definitely hoping that when we arrived that they, I don't want to stay in this place with no turtles after all of that. <laughs> so now they're on the podcast. Uh, but yeah. Okay. So we can, yeah, we'll just dive into some questions um, because I think pretty much we've updated people on what we have, we've been doing. Um, and we did get some good like one-on-one sessions with some bikini competitors as of late. TC did some, uh, mobility activation work with them um, one was a fit body fusion client another was a team lead client and I think we'll probably do a podcast just talking about some of the imbalances that you were seeing so um, that will be coming up and yeah podcasts from now on will probably be in all different states yeah when we can remember and we had a hell of a time setting up this podcast <laughs> uh, which Thank you to our donors because that will be allowing us to purchase some new microphones. This is a very inexpensive set. and uh, I can't move right now. I'm going to have to stay still for an hour. Yeah, which I'm seeing you have two other bands that are not attached. They came off. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I feel like I want to do it, but I also don't want to touch anything. No, don't touch it. <laughs> if, you work, if you do a podcast, there's like a negative 
feedback that happens when the microphones aren't operating properly and it's like this annoying humming it's a wire i don't know what it is we plug them in i swatched i swapped the microphones we, yeah we spent like i don't know 45 minutes yeah. getting this figured out but yes think if you guys feel bad for us <laughs> <laughs> you want to help us buy some updated equipment um oh, there it is there's the home we were talking about uh yes if you want to there you go this is the unedited real life of tc and chris nicole we make it happen we make it work um yes we have a donation page on our website um under like if you go to recklesstraining.com the media page there is a donation tab and we've had several people very kindly submit some donations and all that money goes to supporting the podcast so we will be using those funds for our microphones mm -hmm. but yes um yeah anything you guys want to hear let us know uh if you want to donate that's the place to do it but let's dive right into the questions yeah yeah let's do it all right so let's talk about some nutrition things yeah because we have been talking a lot about training but we do have some training questions we'll wrap up with um so these are kind of like rapid fire i have some athletes that are in improvement season they're eating a lot of food actually some people dieting and still eating a lot of food but how do you eat all of the carbs in the off season that's been a challenge for some people and i've heard that as a question do you want to answer that um well i can answer it uh and from a power lifter standpoint she <laughs> <laughs> gave you some sour patch kids no <laughs> i mean yes obviously these like calorie dense foods are going to be a little more helpful for you i think in this season um yeah there's certain foods that are a lot of volume like yeah veggies and potatoes like, and yeah and i think yeah and that's the thing is like when you're in prep and you're trying to feel as full as possible you start eating these uh foods that are a little higher volume lower calorie like less calorie dense and sometimes these things turn habitual and then we're always trying to figure out how we can get the most food volume on our plate um when you're in your growing season like there's there's benefits to each season right and when you're cutting the benefit is i'm starting to look really good you know we get the lines we get to see the mirror changes um but you're hungry <laughs> and grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> in growing season, you're like, oh man, I'm starting to get a little chubby. My lines are going away. But you well, get, you're a bunch of fun. Yeah, <laughs> and you get to eat which you know you get to eat the things that that you've been missing out on. You get to eat the things that you want to eat, and you have mm -hmm. more energy. You have better workouts. You're stronger. You're hitting PRs in the gym. So, I think for the first step is just to remember that to to be present in each stage of your. Um, seasons as an athlete you know no matter what kind of athlete you are and i think to be grateful for the opportunities that you have in each season right yeah um yeah yeah what yeah what do you wait go ahead <laughs> tag yeah i was gonna say it's been uh interesting for me working with uh coach paul um learning each stage of prep a little bit differently. So like dieting phase was different than I've ever done before. And improvement season is wildly different than anything I've done before. And 
Um, if you haven't listened to any previous episodes, TC does all of my hypertrophy training, but Coach Paul really leads the the prep in like my nutrition, my overall health, show planning, all of that stuff. And so um, it's been different to have um, so much volume, like so much food uh, every day. Like sometimes there are days where I'm like, man, like this is just, it feels like a lot. Um, but I... And I've never, I think, been in that position where I felt like it's too much food. Uh, but it's, so it's been work on like kind of retraining my mentality around it. Because um, previously I felt like calories were um, always accounted for, like every little detail. And were less volume than I've, than I've been having now. And so I would still continually eat a lot of the higher volume foods all the time. Because I always had the mindset of this is all that I get like the dieting season phases of this is all that I get would still carry on into the improvement season. This is all that I get. And, um, but that just perpetuates like that mindset of like you, you have very little and that's where food aggression comes from. (laughs) Uh, so like for me, for carb volume, just to like answer this question very frankly, um, I do, still have like my staple meals with my protein and you know like rice and potatoes oatmeal because I like those foods but I have to remind myself to get up and start eating like the improvement season is making sure that I am eating and I have to eat early because there's so much volume Um, so I think like sometimes it's making sure that you're prioritizing mealtime and not waiting till the end of the day where when we're dieting sometimes we're just we're trying to stretch it out yeah like i'd start eating at like 10 or 11 or 12 in a dieting phase now i like wake up and i'm like okay i need to make sure that like i have a hearty breakfast because if i get behind in food it's going to feel uncomfortable the rest of the day so i take advantage of that i feel like my appetite has gotten a lot better from not being so fearful and just starting to consume food um but fruit is like a really easy digestible carbohydrate that can be higher calorie um, like honey, um, jams, like have pancakes with s- some syrup. Like that's a really easy way to get some carbs. Um, I know some people do like Gatorade. They'll do juices. Um, so like pay attention to your blood sugars. You don't want to always be replacing all your complex carbs with refined sugars. But I think that you can get away with more um, as long as you don't have a, you know, a, a sensitivity to or blood sugar issues is what I mean. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's also, I think important to point out that, um, you know, the old cliche, you are what you eat, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you're you're still going to perform better. The more whole foods that you're taking in, but you know, like if, if you're running behind and you want to stop at a gas station, get a protein bar, you you can do that. You know, protein bars have Um, helped a lot. Yeah. Like we, we get those Gatorade bars because they're pretty high in carbohydrates, but Mm -hmm. it's great for me on the way to the gym. I get it. it's 20 grams of protein and it's, I don't know, like 30 some odd, 40 grams, 43, 43. that's what was grams in my of head. Carbs, yeah, 43 yeah. grams of carbs. So. And then like 10 fat, mm-hmm. which helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it like, helps it stick. Yeah, because you, you don't want it to all like run through you. But Right. That's the other thing that I've learned is like when you have a lot of carbs, you have high carbs, um, you need to make sure that you are, if you are having those refined sugars, that you're having some fat with it to help slow it down. Especially me, I always feel like my... I have too much sugar 
like a child have like a sugar spike and then a crash. Um, and that's not good for like really any, any healthy part of being an athlete or a person. So, yeah, I think that's really good advice. And like, I'll more, I'll get like frozen waffles. Those are easy carbs. They're easy to eat. Um, bread, you can eat bread. There's a lot of foods out there. I think we forget that sometimes. Um, so yeah, experiment, find what digests well, what doesn't feel like make you feel bloated and full. Cause that sometimes can be a psychological thing when you're in improvement season, you don't want to, you want to eat, but you don't want to feel like stuffed mm-hmm. because you already are feeling a little bit softer. Um, yeah. yeah. And if you feel bloated at all, when you have that extra oh, layer man. of fat on there, you feel like a complete fatty, you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. So I think the other beneficial aspect of like the growing season, getting your food variety is your gut microbiome, yes. right? You know, you start to get those, you you keep those new foods in there. So your gut develops the uh, microbiome to be able to handle different kinds of foods. So yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, not having your seasons be so different. And mm-hmm. like these are my prep foods and these are my improvement season foods. Yeah, yeah. You want to eat all the foods all the time. Yeah. And then when you're in prep, it's just a little less. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so another question was, can you eat carbs at night? Um, and this question was specific to training fasted. In the AM, like, should this person be eating carbs late at night to help with their training sessions in the morning? Um, <laughs> I'll be honest with everybody. I'm a late night eater. I am not a breakfast person. Um, I like eating at night. Um, and I know there's like tons of scientific things that say you shouldn't eat carbs at night because it spikes your blood sugar and you're just going to bed and blah, 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 blah. But um, I have asked other professionals in the sport to make sure that I'm just not like giving false information. And I've had asked, um, yeah, some coaches, um, some people that are like well-versed in all kinds of prep science. Mm-hmm. And they all said, yes, you can eat your, you can eat carbs at night. You don't have to like, there's not a specific time that you have to stop eating them by. Um, I think the only caveat would be, um, again, if you have blood sugar issues, I think carb distribution, um, always has to consider someone's like overall health, but for the most part, yeah, eat your, because especially if you're training fasted in the morning, that's going to help fuel your workout the next day. Yeah. And if you, if you do have some sort of blood sugar issues, like you're not diabetic, but maybe you have some high resting, like blood glucose levels. Mm-hmm. You might want to try something like uh, Core Nutritionals has a product called Load. Um, you know, you can get uh, ber- berberine. Yeah, ber- I really like berberine. I yeah. think that's a good supplement. So, and it, uh, you know, just as a standalone, a lot of these uh, GDAs, the glucose disposal agents, have berberine in it as one of the ingredients. Right. Yeah. Um, so, like that might be that might be another option for you. Um, there are but, times, yeah, if I'm eating a like a, I just get behind in food and I have to eat a bunch, I'll help my body out a little bit by taking some yeah. berberine or or i have used the core nutritionals load yeah and i think uh the other aspect to like pay attention to if you're someone out there who's listening to this and and you aren't a competitor who tracks all of your calories and you're just wondering if you're allowed to eat at night before you go to bed mm-hmm. yeah. um i would say anecdotally that's probably one of the highest hunger times that you're gonna have you're tired it's the nighttime. Um, you're not necessarily busy and focusing on something. And I think that you're going to be more prone to eat. Um, I think that, um, 
we have nurses who and doctors who have worked the overnight shift and they always complain about struggling more with binge eating i feel like when they're when they're on their overnight shift yeah there's a whole thing about like nighttime mm-hmm. well we're supposed to be asleep like our circadian mm-hmm. rhythm is supposed to be asleep so there's a lot of things that kind of go haywire yeah we're awake throughout the night yeah so i would just caution you and say like just make sure that you're not overdoing it you know if you're gonna if you are gonna snack a little bit before you go to bed do just that don't like have two oreos don't have the entire bag you know have a bowl like what two serving one or two servings ice cream don't have the entire half gallon yeah there you go yeah you know so just good advice moderation right we want to practice moderation and it's just like anything else if you're trying to create a a habit it has to be sustainable so make it enjoyable but also make sure that it's still serving your goals and your purposes yeah i think that's true um and i like your point about like being able to relax at night and i mean i had a a physician that told me um eating carbs at night would actually help me sleep because I was struggling with some sleep. And that was my first uh, occurrence of like, oh, I don't have to be afraid of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah. Yeah. Be wise about it. Um, But don't be, you don't have to be fearful about eating carbohydrates. And listen to your body. You know, if you're eating carbs at night and you wake up feeling like crap, like maybe tone it back a little bit. You know, some people don't sleep well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's sometimes true. I wake up feeling sick if I had to if I had like a pint of Ben and Jerry's the night before. Really? I'll, yeah, I wake up the next morning and it's like that kind of balance between hu- am I hungry or do I need to throw up? I don't know if you ever feel that, but <laughs> no. like sometimes, sometimes I get that feeling where I'm like, look, <laughs> this doesn't feel good. My stomach is much bigger than TC's. Yeah, she eats a lot more than me. I eat a lot and I always make fun of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's strong in everything, but he cannot take me when it comes to like taking down a meal <laughs> yeah all right so um the next question is what food should you never eat we had the same answer by the way yeah yeah i said the ones that don't agree with your body she would you say i said um the ones you're allergic to. Yeah. So it's essentially the same thing. Like if your body does well with it, you should eat it. If you like it, you should eat it. If you don't if you don't like it or your body doesn't do well with it, probably shouldn't eat it, you know. Yeah, I have a lot of people ask me, when should I cut out this food? Or is this food okay? Um and I will, you know, always have like a little bit of an opinion based off of like its nutritional value and how it fits into whatever program we have going on in your goals um but i tell people nothing is off limits because that's another thing that as an athlete i have been learning is to not have so much fear around food Mm -hmm. like categorizing good and bad foods and honestly celeste um from build more than just a body if you don't follow her on instagram she's the one that actually at the first time i heard like not categorizing foods as good and bad and at the time like sounded great but didn't necessarily make sense to me because i don't think i was at that point in my like journey to be able to understand it a little bit better but now since i've asked paul paul million questions could i have this should i have that and he's always like yep uh i think that really changed a lot of things for me of like wow, okay, so I'm not, like, foregoing all of my athletic endeavors because I want to have ice cream. Like, that's that's what this this improvement season time should allow you to have that flexibility. And that's a thing that I have been very grateful of learning to be able to extend to my athletes as well because I think we're all trying to learn how to do prep better 
Um, and, but really for anybody, like, and being a human being, not just like bodybuilding athletes, like, yeah, don't eat something if it makes you feel like garbage. <laughs> like, wow, peanuts have a lot of nutritional value, but I have an allergic react. No, you don't have to eat. And I feel like that's a silly, dumb answer, but, um, well, but people do that. They're like, well, it's in my plan, so I have to eat it. Like, no, come on. If you have a meal plan, something's in there, your body's not agreeing with it, you need to speak to your coach and have them swap it out. I've had so people, yeah. yeah, I've had people tell me I've eaten egg whites. I just keep eating egg whites because in my it's in a meal plan. They wait like three months to tell oh you that it's not yeah. working. <laughs> and they're like, it doesn't agree. My stomach's always upset, it doesn't agree with me, but it's in the plan. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you have to, I think being an educated athlete, talking to your coach, and make sure using your brain through the process, I think, is good. I love people when the, I love that people ask a ton of questions. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, it, it, it helps both of us. We both end mm -hmm. up learning more when we have engaged athletes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I had someone ask me today, how much caffeine should I? And I was like, that's a great question. Yeah. So I like sent her some, you know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. good to ask questions. Yes. I would much rather, I have people apologize. I don't want to blow you up. I don't want to bother. Look, if you're messaging me through the portal and you're not like, texting me and calling me and messaging me on Instagram and emailing me and messaging me through the portal, all the same question, like, okay, come on, you know, like yeah. be respectful. But if you're messaging, messaging me through the portal or emailing me and you have questions about your prep or your training or life in general, I want to answer them for yeah. you. It's I, that is preferable to me than the client that I never hear from because I don't know what's going on with them and I yeah. can't like help them progress. It's hard to help someone that you don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So interact with your coach yeah. and it, if they don't want to interact with you, I would say that's your first red flag, you know, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I like, I really encourage people to interact with me as much as possible. And I even have people at the like run questions by me for their coach. They'll say, uh, is this a dumb question if I ask my coach this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, most, nine times out of ten, no. Yeah. Um, because you 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 have more of a buy-in if you hear the answer from the person who's, like, leading you in that direction. Like, yes. even if it's you think you know the answer, but you need to hear it from them, I think it's okay to ask. Um, so, yeah, okay. Don't eat foods you're allergic to. <laughs> Yeah, and I would say, like, look, if you're in prep, you're on 1,200 calories, you're probably not going to have two big Reese cups, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, it's, yeah. it's about being intelligent and balancing, but, but yeah. So. And alcohol, I think, is another one that really doesn't provide value. Yes, yeah. Um, it has, it's, it really, any, it doesn't have any nutritional value. Right. It has more calories per gram of carbohydrate than regular carbs do, and has, like, no, like, literally no nutritional, and actually, it's detrimental because... Your body has to get rid of and expel that. It has to metabolize and expel that alcohol before it can go back to recovering your muscles. Well, and for the same reason, like your alcohol is broken down by your liver. Your mm -hmm. liver does, and alcohol is considered a toxin. Sorry, mm -hmm. everyone, but yep. it is. Um, so that organ is preoccupied, like you said, with, you know, working through a toxin that's been ingested. Um, and your liver also simultaneously helps with uh, fat breakdown. So dietary fats that you eat, it helps. That the, a lot of the process, the lipolysis process, goes through your liver. So if your liver is preoccupied with, you know, breaking down alcohol, there's a lot. It slows down some other reactions. Um, so when people tell me, 
like I did have a, a woman ask me if I'm going to consume alcohol, how do I track it? Um, and I told her the nutritional value is between like a carb and a fat. If you're, if you're breaking it down. So, um, you know, a carb is four grams per calorie. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Okay. Uh, four calories per gram. Four. Ca- I know yeah. I was going to say it backwards. Um, and fat is seven. Nine. Nine. Alcohol is seven. Yeah. So if you look at it that way, it's like dancing in between the middle of those two things. But if you consider um, how it's acting in your body, you might want to, you know, account for some fat ingested that day. Mm -hmm. And I said, still make sure you're hitting your fat minimum because fat is important for hormone health, satiety. Like it's, you don't want to just completely have alcohol and replace like replace fats with alcohol um but if you are going to enjoy it because i know that's important for people that's something fun that they enjoy it's a social activity there is a cortisol response to being able to relax um i just don't think that it it has to be the only way uh i I would Everything in moderation. Again. Yeah. Just like we yeah. just got done saying, like everything in moderation, you know. And the other detrimental effect that you want to consider is your dehydration. As soon as you start mm-hmm. drinking alcohol, your body is signaled to start releasing uh, water. Um, it's a chemical process. It happens to literally every single person who ingests alcohol. Um, so if you're an athlete and you're training and you're planning on having a couple of drinks, I would say hydrate more and you probably want to alternate drinks with water I, I, it'll I save know. you a headache too. yeah and they also have like drinking buddies uh, i'm not sure exactly what those hangover cure pills do but you're supposed to take those beforehand um maybe it kind of slows down that process of dehydration yeah. I, i'm not sure but because the headache the headache that you feel afterwards is generally dehydration it's um and then it's exacerbated by sugar so you know as if you have <laughs> wine mixed drinks. yeah oh my gosh the mixed drinks or like wine or something like i mean because even beer you know the carbohydrates in there's so it's there's sugar in there too so anytime i drink um, i just want to start eating mm-hmm, too mm-hmm. so there's so, that yeah just be careful just you know 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 what you're getting yourself into going into it and again everything in moderation and you know what if you haven't drank in a while one drink is probably gonna do you just fine yeah you'll feel it yeah, and that's great. Have a good time, relax a little bit, spend time with the people that you want to spend time with, and then go to bed and get up the next day and keep killing it. So, yeah, and yeah. it's been known to raise estrogen as well. Yeah. Uh, alcohol has made it so like. There's um, just pretty much no ben- beneficial effect of drinking alcohol other than the uh, like societal aspect of yeah. you know relaxing with people that you enjoy being around. But there's a you know that's what that's I think a good lesson just to. to Put it together is like everything in moderation because mm-hmm. i think if we just demonize one thing um then people feel restricted and then it causes these other like cascades of behavioral things so like you should be able to live your life you have a life outside of just being an athlete um so yeah find balance yeah okay uh Okay, I think the next question has to do with validity of food intolerance tests. You want me to talk about this one? Yes. <laughs> so I have gotten food intolerance tests done several times, several, several times, um, by different companies. Now, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know 
I, it's hard for me to say like definitely do a food intolerance test definitely don't i've had mixed reviews from coaches and people that i've talked to as well what i've kind of concluded is that and i want to say a shout out to elizabeth by the way because elizabeth and i have she's a friend of mine um a medical professional and also a bikini athlete we've had a lot of conversations about food intolerance tests and she has brought some great content for me to look at to kind of like answer this question um so i think that the bottom line is there are foods that your body doesn't prefer and they get labeled as food intolerances, whether they cause bloating or some brain fog or yes. yeah, you just don't digest them well. So it's uncomfortable. Um, but the food intolerance tests that are on the market right now are not really a good measure of like how I think you can get by better with symptoms than a black and white test because I have taken food intolerance tests and basically it was everything that I was eating was came up as a food intolerance. I remember crying in the grocery store because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to eat now. I was like in the middle of a dieting phase in prep and it was like no eggs, no peanut butter, no wheat, gluten, almonds. It was just like everything. So I, I remember like having a breakdown in the grocery store because um, you're already hungry <laughs> now what do I do um and since then have reintroduced those foods because I was with the stigma of like I can't eat these things I went for a long time not eating these things and then just recently I got very curious because I love eggs and I haven't had eggs in I don't know four years it's been a long time I've tried eating them off and on yeah I was making egg whites our first year together um okay and, we'll be together maybe maybe not like the for the full year Okay, so it's been like three-ish right. years sure. um, because it was in my head that it was bad for me. So every time I would eat it, I'd just be like super nervous. And I'd, so I wasn't really enjoying it. You attribute it. any negative feeling that you have yeah. to that, you know, yeah. no matter what it actually is. Well, and you're not enjoying it because you see it as something bad. Yeah. Um, and we've talked before about like the studies that they've done on foods and stuff. and, and yes, how mentality. Exactly. And if you think it's a bad food, your body has an inflammatory response to it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think like the last time you tried eggs, you tried it for like two or three days in a row and you you said that you started to just feel like super lethargic and yeah. tired, which that could have just been you being stressed out, right? You know, but because you had that in your head, yeah, it, you know, it could have either been the psychological aspect causing that issue or it could have been something else entirely and then we attribute it to the, to the right. fact that you're eating eggs. Yeah. So, um, this time we... It reincorporated the eggs into your diet um, during a more exciting part of our lives and where, where we had a bunch of things going on and we were like knocking the dominoes down essentially like we were accomplishing things and it allowed you to like like hold on to that positive mentality mm -hmm. i think and then we just shoot you've had you've had it every single day since then i love it yeah my day is not right anymore if i don't have an egg um so yeah so i think food intolerance tests um again there's some doctors that really like some holistic professionals that really believe in them they find that they really help people um from my personal experience i would say i would go off of symptoms over a black and white test and until they can come up with a better way of really solidifying something as a food intolerance um because they they test i think it's a protein I, IgG or IgA, something like that. Um, 
it's not the same as like an anaphylactic reaction to an allergy. So, um, yeah, I think like that, that's the other aspect is the majority of Americans don't realize how crappy they feel because yeah. they're eating a bunch of processed food. And, you know, when we take someone through a prep, uh, they say that they feel like crap because they're tired and they're hungry, yeah. right? But then they start coming out and they they start to eat foods that actually make them feel like crap. And they're like, wow, this, like, this is not enjoyable. And then they go back to eating like pretty much most of what they were eating during prep. But that's yeah. because, again, like that cliche, you are what you eat, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're basically a completely new body like every seven years. And where do you think all those cells are being generated from? It's food. It's everything that you're ingesting into your body. Your body turns it into the new cells that it's producing for yourself so oh is anyone else thinking about what they were like seven years ago <laughs> oh my gosh well don't worry because now you're a new woman i'm brand new new and improved eating eggs okay um okay let's talk a little bit about dexa scans do you like them yeah yeah, I think just like everything else, there's like uh, there's a percent error available. Um, mm-hmm. Probably has to do with how full, like how full your glycogen stores are the day of, um, and then kind of piggybacking on that, it's how hydrated you are because you know your muscle cells are like 70 percent water. So if you're full of glycogen and full of water, your muscles are going to measure bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter really, no matter what standard you use, whether it's like in body or Dex or whatever, but um, yeah, I think I think Dex is probably the most accurate that you're going to get for you know uh, a, a relatively available body fat composition test. You know, like if you can do like the hy- hydropod, like the floating thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think that like. Gosh, where where would you even find that? You need to go to like a university or something. Yes, exactly. Which is and and it's it's hard. They're like you can't find those. There's so, like two. Yeah, <laughs> ever. Yeah. So Dexa scans like it's the way to go. So just like I would suggest, just to you might even want to record what you do the morning of. You know, so I would say do it first thing in the morning, uh, and record what you do. You know, if, for me, I drink a bottle of Hydrocharge on my way there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what it does, but I did it the first time and. So I do it every time now. I think it's important just to have the variables the same. Exactly. So if you work, if you worked out the first, I, we don't, I just wake up, drink some water and go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, food, water, um, activity. If you're working out, that's all, that all will affect it, uh, to some degree. But yeah, I think that, so I have done DEXA scans every six months ish just to kind of like i mean that works with my budget right now and just to see that muscle mass is improving i don't always look at like body fat percent because i feel like that's just going to be it's going to happen yeah it changed a lot but one thing to think about is if your body fat's lower your muscle mass is probably going to measure lower as well because you're probably not going to be as well fed the caveat to that is you know like your last scan, well, not not the very, your most recent scan, the one before that, it was right after your show. Yeah, I was. So you were super dieted, but you had started eating. So it was like yeah. Monday or Tuesday, and you had, you know, Food. kind of pretty much had a refeed meal on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So like your glycogen stores are probably going to be pretty full. It's probably going to measure relatively accurately. Uh, so like that's probably the best case scenario that you're going to get. 
and it's going to be like you know most kind of most relatable sure to your higher body fat scans but and when i'm dieting for a show and i get a dexa scan i am looking for body fat percentage i'm also looking for data of like how much muscle i have getting on stage just so i can use it as a measurement for improvement next time but um uh, I have heard eight to ten percent for bikini competitors as far as body fat goes is pretty normal. Um, if you're using other metrics like an in-body machine or calipers, the percentages can be very different. Even the like handheld um, electro. Those are like the worst. It was like ten, I think ten to fifteen percent available error, something like that. So just making sure you have something that is. You're using the same thing. You're do. You have the same or similar routine, and you're looking at it as like a measurement against itself, versus like getting a DEXA and then going mm-hmm. to get a embody and then using an electro handheld thing every time you go to the gym. Sometimes you're hydrated. Sometimes you're not. Yeah. Um. It'll drive me nuts. So. Yeah. And do not pay attention to the body weight scales with the measurements. <laughs> do please just do yourself a favor. And ignore those readings. Wait, which ones do you mean? Just like the scale we have. Oh, the bathroom scale. mm -hmm. The bathroom scale telling you how much your body fat is. Yes. Okay. Yep, because uh, just for everyone out there, um, I'm perpetually like 32% body fat on my scale. You you should see this guy. (laughs) Go to YouTube. He barely fits in the frame. (laughs) I mean, ignore I'm a fat ass. (laughs) But it doesn't matter how lean I am. It doesn't matter how fat I am. It always says that. Well, Um, you're always like obese with a DEXA scan too. Yeah. Well, well, my BMI is always. Oh, that's the, the BMI, right, right, yeah, right. BMI yes. is always off the charts, but like this thing, I don't know if it's because I, like, growing up, I was always barefoot, so I had really thick skin on my feet. Mm-hmm. So that bioelectric impedance, it's like it has a hard time getting through Ew. there, you know. But what? <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. But that's the thing is like fat does not really conduct electricity, whereas m- muscle does because it has more water. Right. right? So uh, that's how theoretically that's how these things measure so the things that you hold with your hands is going to be a better measurement of your arms and your upper body and the things that you stand on with your feet theoretically is going to be better measure of your lower body and that's why the in-body scan you stand on something and you hold something i always wondered if my scoliosis made those electric things yeah i just i've always hated those things i mean if la fitness uses it uh, oh. I probably don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hopefully, LA Fitness isn't listening yeah, to shots fired. <laughs> um, but uh, and there's also 3D Fit scans as well too. Yeah. For a thing you stand on, and then it gives you a reading. And it's like a uh, takes a vi- pic- a takes a three dimensional. But I don't. But I that's also to me an electrical impedance. Yeah, I believe it is too. Thing as well. So I've never used one, so I'm not. Not yeah, sure. but I mean, you can Google Dexa scan near me. Yeah, and look for a gym or these. A lot of these Dexa scan places, generally speaking, run two to three sales per year. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Help and, us save money, TC. And you want to remember that it's radiation. Yes. So you don't want to do it every month. Correct. Right. You want to space it out. You want to make sure that you, your body deals with that radiation, gets out of there. Uh, it's a small amount, but you you don't want to do it every month. You don't want to do it every other month. Um, and obviously, you have to pay attention to finances. Um, 
And what? if you're like some people, you have to travel there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot. A lot of the night. Yeah. A lot of people do not live right next to a DEXA scan. Um, the closest we've ever been is one hour away. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I would, if you have someone who can do it, I think that the cheapest option to reliably get body fat, it's like one of the lower error percents is the skin fold calipers, but that error percent is highly um, determinant determined by who's doing it. Right. And if they do it the same exact way every single time, because you can grab a skin fold and put the caliper on there and you can keep it right up close to the muscle belly or you can start to pull it away a little bit. The reading is going to change. So like the person who does it has to be doing it the exact same way. You have to have the same person do it. Um, but that one is probably going to be a little less like determined by um, your hydration levels. So like, if your hydration level is a little different, your skin fold caliper readings are probably still going to be pretty similar. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So I've also noticed that like when I get inflamed, when I eat a bunch of junk food, like my midsection does get inflamed. I get bloated, but my, like the skin fold, generally speaking, stays, stays relatively similar. Um, like, yeah, I grab, I grab the fat on my stomach and I'm like, well, I feel babe. so fat, but like, there's really not a ton there. Like Internal inflammation. Yeah. Yeah. My last excess count was like 13 and a half percent or something. Um, but there's some days where I'll wake up and like, there's no abs, there's no abs to be found. Not, <laughs> not on this planet. <laughs> it's just not going to happen today. Go back to sleep. <laughs> but you know what? Tomorrow. Yeah. I enjoyed my night last night. So, <laughs> so, but, but that's the other thing is, is again, seasons for everything. Be grateful for the opportunities that are afforded to you in each season and everything in moderation, you know? So yeah, well seems said. like we have some common themes in this, in this podcast. So <laughs> also I'm a power lifter, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, okay. That's good. We talked about the DEXA scans. Here's a random one. Someone asked, do I need a posing suit? And I think this is for like, a, this was a female athlete. Because a lot of times you can take pictures in like sports bra and shorts, you know, um, and I'm okay with that with people getting started if they're feeling uncomfortable about like taking pictures of their physique. I think that that's an okay introduction just to get you like get your feet wet. Um, but I think there is a ton of benefit to having a posing suit um, because even swimsuits are not cut the same as a competition suit that you're going to wear, whether it's figure or wellness um, bikini, you definitely need to be able to see the glutes framed with a suit cut in the back that is going to help accentuate that look. Also, it helps us know where we need to add tissue, where we need to work on posing. Um, well, there's so many like minute details to posing too. And like, so going back mm -hmm. to those sessions that we had this past weekend, a lot of what we talked about was regaining control over those tiny little muscles in your hips that like everyone thinks their quads, their hamstrings, their glutes. And some people say I have tight hip flexors, but what about everything else? You know, and like everything else probably falls into those categories. But if you don't have control over these little muscles that like stabilize your pelvis or externally rotate your femur or it's going to be very difficult for you to pose the way you want to on stage and it's going to be very difficult for you to take um like posing critique from someone and make the changes um we were just talking today about 
you know, when we tell someone to externally rotate a little more, you know, to either get, you know, maybe your glute ham tie-in to come in a little better. But regardless of the reason, a lot of times what happens is people just abduct their knees. And that's not external rotation in the femur. So knowing how to manipulate your body properly, I think is very important. And having a proper posing suit that's going to show you those minute detail changes is important because like you said about the cut on the bottom it's even between posing suits and even between like competition suits there's different cuts and they're just so slightly different that the untrained eye wouldn't they look the same you know but sure. but they don't sure yeah i think that's it's worth the investment mm-hmm. um and i'm a sponsored out with athlete with toxic angels bikinis um i think they have their suits are very comfortable. I like their competition cuts. And that's the other thing is like sometimes getting a posing suit by the same company that you're thinking about getting a, um, you know, a competition suit to wear on stage is a good idea Mm -hmm. because the posing suit sometimes is like a trial run because you're trying on a cert because there's so many different cuts to the back. Um, you're trying that on, you're trying a molded cup versus a triangle cup. You're feeling you're thinking about the fabric and how they, yeah, it's like a, it's a trial run. So mm-hmm. I think that it's a good idea to, um, cause I've tried posing suits from a couple of different companies and, um, yeah, a fan of toxic. I think they do, they do a really good job. So, um, code Chris, if you want to order mm-hmm. something that helps support us by microphones too. Um, yeah. okay. They're, they're very good with customer service and stuff as yeah. well. So, um, obviously if you can go to these companies and see them in person, they can kind of size you up and get a good suit for you. But, um, if not, I feel like Tox is very good about, you know, working with you and, and helping. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of the experiences I've had, Toxic has been great. Um, okay. And here, so for, are there, since we're talking about this, um, I think a posing suit is something that would be definitely worth an investment and shoes as well early on so that you can get good pictures. You can acclimate with walking in heels. Are there starter things that are appropriate for a power lifter if they're just beginning to lift that they should be investing in? Headphones. (laughs) To block everyone out. Yeah. To block everyone out so that you can get in your own, in your own lane. Um, that that was kind of that was halfway tongue in cheek, but honestly, um, being in the same mental space when you're doing your top sets and powerlifting to me is very important. Some people get super hyped up, they yell and they take ammonia, and that's that's how they do it. For me, I um, it depends on the day. Sometimes I'm being angry at myself for missing out on progress. Sometimes I'm putting myself in a competition setting where I'm envisioning myself on the platform about to take my, you know, first, second or third attempt, whatever. But I think like visualizing, I think is very important for powerlifting. And I think it's important for bodybuilding too. Like when, when I was practicing my posing routine and practicing my uh, mandatories, I would put myself on stage so that that's what you expected. You're, you're in your head. That's where you are. Everyone's looking at you. All the judges are looking at you and you're ready for it when you get on that stage. But, you know, as a powerlifter, I think it's the same thing. But because you're trying to aim for literally completely maximal exertion for only one rep, you have one chance. That's it. Um, and 
every single muscle fiber has to be 100% activated right out the gate. And that's not just your primary movers, it's also your stabilizers, and it's also your antagonistic muscles. Um, so I think being in, in the same mental space every single time that you go for a top set or top lift, um, I have found that that's the best way to make progress. Um, so how can you buy that? Uh, you can't. <laughs> it's practice. <laughs> so bodybuilders need posing suits or and powerlifters need... To develop their mentality. But uh, honestly, I do think that that's the, the first and foremost thing you have to do as a powerlifter. You have to de- decide what mentality you need while you're powerlifting. Um, and you need to practice it. Because then when it comes competition day, it's just another day in the gym. That's all it is. What about tangible items? So the- yeah. Uh, I was, I'm getting there. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry, there. sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to fast track you. I'm just so, so, so excited about the answer. <laughs> so the typical... Um, Three things that I think the vast majority of powerlifting coaches would suggest for you to get are a good belt, um, good knee sleeves, and this one's probably hit or miss, but but wrist like uh, straps. (gasps) What about a tripod? That's what I was going to guess. Babe, oh man, I'm missing all of them. Because honestly, if I were to tell you, it was, I had a couple in my head. So, okay, so powerlifters, the first thing you need is a big gym bag. (laughs) (laughs) that's Um, a good answer yeah because i I i'm constantly walking around with this gym bag and it's like man it's so heavy but um there are just so many things that can be beneficial uh for training and and dealing with imbalances and getting proper muscle activation patterns happening um i love my resistance bands for example i do not believe that anyone should be without a set of resistance bands um and yes, I always tell people that the most valuable tool in your gym bag is your tripod. Um, Which is a phone stand. Yeah, 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 the phone stand. Yeah. <laughs> Not for, for your selfies. Right, babe? Should yeah. they bring a ring light too? <laughs> yeah, yeah, bring the ring light. Um, no, but, but yeah, so for me, I started to make the most progress when I did two things. I started uh, tracking my macros. And doing meal timing, so I'd have my cereal and my protein shake, you mm-hmm. know, right before right before my lifts. Um, and I started recording every single one of my working sets. And um, mm. wh- when I first got into powerlifting, I what happened was I started cruising on Instagram. I started following some of the big name powerlifters, and I knew in my head, I, I felt it. I was like, I'm stronger than that. I know I am. And I was seeing what the number one person at Royal Nationals was doing in USAPL, and I said, I know I can do that. So that's kind of where my training started, but I also knew that I didn't have a coach. I couldn't afford one, and um, I knew that my lifts did not look like these other people's lifts. So what do you do? You start looking at what they're doing, and you have to carry the caveat that everyone's anatomically different. So my squat will not look exactly the same as literally any other person in the world. It might look very, very similar. And there are going to be some very key takeaways that you can use and try to incorporate that into your own form so that you can make your form better. This was a question I was going to ask you later. Oh, which? About um, different anatomy and performing exercises. Okay, yeah. So um, I went the, through the Kabuki strength, uh, strength Coach certification process, and it's like three um, two-day course thing it doesn't matter but basically what they talk about is they say that everyone is anatomically different and there is no textbook form 
If someone says you need to be squatting like this, you need to be deadlifting like this, they're wrong. Okay, I don't care what they're telling They could be giving you great advice, but they're wrong. What they should be telling you is what you want to be thinking about is neutral spine, braced core, intra-abdominal pressure, rooted feet, stabilized glutes, stabilized pelvis, like tuck chin. Like there's so many, it's cues and that's all it is. And all of those cues, if you and I were to do every single one of those cues the exact same, we'd still look different. Sure. And and that's the takeaway from that yeah. is that no, it's not going to look the same as anyone else. But if you have, if you want to develop your eye for movement and you want to look to see what all the other big names are doing and how they're lifting so much weight and how they're moving this stuff. So, so visually effortlessly, effortlessly yeah. um, you need to figure out what they're doing and try to incorporate, incorporate it into your lifts. So, yeah, I made the most progress when I started tracking my macros and when I started recording every single one of my working sets and watching it directly after the set. So I'm not just recording the shit and then hitting pause and then walking away and then hitting record for my next set. And then You're watching. Yes, it. I'm after every single set, I'm scrubbing that video. I'm looking at my feet. I'm looking at my pelvis. Is you know, is there any rotation in there? Is it was is my low back arching and flexing when it shouldn't be? Is that you know butt wink is the most common sure sign of that? Um, uh, is is my lockout on my bench press even? Are my shoulders even? Is my head tilting to one side? Is one mm. side of the weights coming off faster? And my deadlifts like there's so many things that you could be looking at. Um, and I've tried a couple times to make like screen recording videos of me scrubbing these videos and watching them. I, I just did it recently with my squats yeah. and but my top squat was taken from directly behind and it just looks like I'm looking at my butt the entire time but because <laughs> you can't you can't show the people what you're actually looking at sure. you know all they see is me scrubbing the video so yeah, yeah I would really like to do that maybe one day I'll do it with a voiceover for YouTube or something sure. um but uh yeah you can really learn so much about your movement inefficiencies from just recording yourself and looking and, and saying, okay, I'm going to focus on this. Oh, shoot, my heel is coming up in that squat. It's not going to come up this time. And maybe something else is going to happen, but sure. my, that heel is not going to come up this time. I think that it is... I understand why some gyms don't want people recording mm-hmm. in the gym because people take advantage of it mm-hmm. and they start... And they're rude. They're inconsiderate. They start filming like yeah. a whole movie um, and they're posing in the mirror and all kinds of things yeah. and they're just getting in the way. Yeah, not being considerate. Yeah. But I do think there is a huge benefit to um, being able to see your... I mean, we, even bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watch my lifts and we have girls send you videos mm-hmm. of their lifts because especially being online, we can't watch you perform all the exercises and you all have tactile cues. So the, the most we can do is is if the client does their homework and they start sending because they're looking for answers or they're saying, I'm feeling this, here's the video, um, we can help kind of make sure that your lifts are most efficient. So yeah. that's a side tangent. But um, I just, it kind of was in line with what you're saying about recording is important. Yeah. And I mean, I, I had the quote unquote luxury of, of, that year that I was discussing, it was, I was training at home. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I say quote unquote luxury because it was in the uh, bottom floor of a barn, which uh, was open to, to the outdoors. So to the elements. Yeah. It, I mean, it was not, it was enclosed. like a horse stall. Yeah. It, that's exactly what it was. It was a horse stall. Oh, and okay, yeah. um, I have a weight rack and I built a weight tree with uh, a landmine attachment that I also made. And 
and I had some adjustable dumbbells. Yeah. And my bands, and that that was it. My deadlift platform. Um, but oh yeah, I forgot you made that platform, that deadlift platform. Yeah, it was very adequate. Yeah, I made the the deadlift platform and the squat platform. I forgot right. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, keep going. Um, so it's it's very bare bones, very minimal, but um, you know, you learn to make do and and you figure out what you need and and when you can f- identify the weak links in your kinetic chain um it you you figure out how to build them you know so but but that's why recording for me was super super easy so and if you scroll down my instagram you'll see like there's it's there's a stone wall in the back with these wagon wheels hanging on the <laughs> hanging on them oh yeah <laughs> yeah so that's that was me outside so um okay Oh, wait. So in answer to your question for power lifters, um, yes, headphones and a tripod or one of those magnetic phone things that you can, you know, just plop it on the rack next to you or something. Those are the essentials. Um, Yes, because that will allow you to develop your mentality and develop your form. And those are the two most important things. You do not need anything else to become a good power lifter. You don't need anything else. Um, Yeah. That's my final answer. I think <laughs> I know I threw that answer at you randomly. You did a good job. Um, and that's a good point about the lifting. And also, I... it's You mentioned something, too, about like perf- people performing the same exercise, but differently based off of their anatomy. And that is something that we recently... Um, you recently talked... Well, I guess we all talked about it with Brett at uh, Brett Contreras at his gym. And to be honest, I was very happy that I was there for that conversation because that is a huge pet peeve of mine is people running like events or uh, like, I don't even know, like performing exercises and telling people specifically, this is how you perform X, Y, and Z. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but I've always found that very frustrating when trainers do that. They're like, no, this is how you perform the exercise. And they're like, well, I'm feeling in a different spot. It doesn't matter. This is how you perform the exercise. Um, or not listening to the athlete and just telling people like a textbook answer instead of learning their physique and learning how to perform. Because a hip thrust is so different for like everybody your height and your limbs and everything and big compound lifts as well. It's going to look so different. And we were talking to a girl that was frustrated because she was getting advice from a coach to do the textbook answer of how it wasn't even the textbook. Like what she was explaining to me, I I was like, please don't listen to him. Please, (laughs) please, please. (laughs) But she was frustrated because she was making progress using a technique that made sense to her and was like, what what her body naturally did well in, but because like toe position or hand position was not like prescribed, you know, what what he thought. Right. Or this is how I do it. Which by the way, this is like a five foot girl, five foot tall girl who, who squats and deadlifts over 400 pounds. Okay. She's amazing. Like she knows, I'm not going to say she, like she knows what she, I'm yeah, she knows what she's doing. You don't get that strong without knowing what you're doing and knowing your body. Yeah. And to have someone come in and say, no, you're doing it wrong. Like I would have been like, "Ah, well, go screw yourself, man. Like (laughs) you do it that way. And that's fine. You know? Yeah. But now, and she was saying it's so frustrating because now I feel lost and I feel like I can't even find a good form that works for me anymore. Yes. 
Yes. You know, but it's, it's, you can't look Ed Cohen, you're allowed to do your frog stance sumo. I'm not going to sumo like that, you know, and all these Ukrainian guys out there who are super, super wide and their toes are touching the weights. You can deadlift like that. I'm not going to deadlift like that. My deadlift is going to be my deadlift. And it's the form that I have found that works for me after a lot of trial and error. And that's kind of a double-edged sword. And I know that we're getting a tangent here, but that's kind of a double-edged sword because when you are developing your form for an exercise, you really want to try to keep the reps all the same. Now, the caveat, obviously, is if you haven't learned how to do it yet and it's not working properly for you yet, you want to continue to try to find your actual proper form. Mm-hmm. But once you find that form, you got to lock it in and develop that neuromuscular pathway and keep it the same. Mm-hmm. And that's how you make progress. You know, when people keep going to the gym and they keep all they ever do is maximum effort and their form is different every single time. And then they wonder why they're benching 225 this year and they're still benching 225 the next year. And I'll tell you, it's because powerlifting training is training with submaximal weights with maximal effort. Mm-hmm. So and and a lot of people don't understand that they think powerlifting well one rep max. It means I have to be going all in every single time. And yes, you have to be trying your hardest for every single rep, for every single set, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's literally as much weight as you can possibly handle, you know, and, and that's, sure. that's where I think most people fall down there, so. Yeah, so, the, what's the lesson? Everything in moderation. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. You can try stuff out, but yeah, you should be, be an educated um, athlete. I'm just glad that she was talking to mm-hmm. some people in there. And remember, there's always more. Yeah. So even if you feel like your form's locked in, if someone says, uh, why don't you try pulling your head back more? Try it. And not just once, not just for one rep, not just for one set, not just for one workout. Play around with it. See if it'll work. Because if someone's telling you something, as long as that's someone you want to listen to, just remember that. Like, re- Remember who's talking to you. Um, like if someone who deadlifts 430 pounds tells me to do something with my deadlift, I may or may not listen to them. So. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, d- definitely remember that there's always more and, uh, there, no form is perfect form either. So, yeah. And your anatomy is unique to you. So exercise should be, that's why I think developing good body awareness is mm-hmm. the most helpful very, thing you can important. do for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. You had a, you had a hot topic for me, babe. I, oh, like I know. About that stuff. Yeah. We will have an entire episode on neuromuscular pathways and form and technique and powerlifting training one of these days. Get your notebooks ready. I need you all to email bomb Chris Nicole and tell oh her that we need gosh. a powerlifting episode. We can do that. You don't need to email Shit. bomb me. No, email bomb her. No. Don't listen to her. Guys. <laughs> um, well, I'll just write a note. Powerlifting podcast. Uh, okay. So we had a really good question um, that you can... You can continue to talk about. Um, what are some training considerations that need to be taken into account when starting your lifting journey as a young or old athlete? We'll say... Like me. <laughs> no. Um, mature athlete? Yeah. Yeah. Mature, master, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Younger or older um, this specific question came to me from a father and son who, uh, started training for powerlifting, uh, within the past few years. Uh, they started training together. Uh, the son is in his teens, he's in high school, um, and the father is in his forties. So, so some considerations that you want to 
you know, think about when you're starting your training journey. I would say that for any person, it's going to be your your workload capacity, or another way to say that is your ability to recover from imposed demands, right? So we want to make sure that your body is able to recover from whatever stress you put it through. Now, a 45-year-old guy who's been working out his entire life will have more recovery capacity than a 23-year-old who's been sitting on his couch all through high school and college. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> Explain. It seems counterintuitive, but yeah. your body learns, right? Your body, your body's awesome. Thank you, TC. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... If you have been doing nothing, that's yeah. all your body is used to doing. Mm-hmm. And if if anyone out there is listening and you have been a sedentary person who went to the gym one time, well, babe, you watch Bob's Burgers with me. I love Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers. <laughs> <laughs> um, when they joined the gym. Yeah. They went one time. Yeah. And then they woke up the next day. They're like, oh my God, I'm so sore. Yeah. Now, obviously, they're you know the older population, but... The same thing would happen if you were a 23-year-old. Also, they're cartoons. Uh, babe, they're <laughs> real sorry, people. they're real people. <laughs> um, yes, okay, so... Well, that, that happens in real life, yeah, right? And, yes. and I think everyone knows this. And there's two things that could happen. You can be super sedentary. You can go in the gym and do stuff and be like, oh, this feels great. And the next day you feel like crap. Or you can be someone who has trained in the past and has stopped either because of injury or life got busy. And then you go back to the gym, you try to train like you did before, and it's the same thing. The next day, you feel like crap. So it's not necessarily age is what you're saying. It's more of like your prior. If every, if all other factors are the same, mm-hmm. I would say it boils down to age. And your ability to recover sure. uh, obviously goes down sure. as you get older. Um, but, okay, yeah. So we the question was... For people starting to work out at those points in life. Okay. Um, so let me actually answer that question instead of just going on a million different tangents. <laughs> Let's hear it. Um, teenagers, the most... Im- okay. No matter who you are, the most important thing, obviously, is you know being able to recover. You need to be focusing on your form. You have to build your form up first mm-hmm. um, and not worry about the weight on the bar. I promise you the weight will come. The weight will increase as your neuromuscular pathways become ingrained and as, as your um, workload capacity increases through your muscle bellies. So and you're, your tendons you're and focusing on form, you're, mm-hmm. wa- you're recording your mm-hmm. working sets. Mm-hmm. You're making sure you're doing things properly. Mm-hmm. And now you do want to push yourself through these times, right? Because if you only ever use warm-up weight, sometimes you don't have the weight to put your body in specific positions. Like for me, I have a really hard time like when I squat with just the bar, it looks different than when I squat with 500 pounds on my back. Hmm. Um, now, when I have 225 pounds on my back, it looks very similar to my 500-pound squat. But I need that weight to compress my kinetic chain and allow me to stabilize around it. It gives you something um, solid to stabilize against, basically, is what okay. I'm saying. So I think it's important, even as a novice lifter, to... Um, expose your body to those extra demands on on your skeletal system on your musk on your musculoskeletal system um to 
kind of allow your body to learn how it needs to react sure. to those things, right? Um, another consideration when you're when you've got a, a couple years under your belt is what is that what is that life looked like? Have you gotten knee injuries in the past? Have you gotten shoulder injuries in the past? Have you already pulled muscles just doing other things? Mm -hmm. um, an injury, an injured site, generally speaking, most of the time this has to do with like muscle strains and um, uh, like tendon ligament sprains and, and stuff like that. But once you injure a muscle or tendon or ligament, you are 70% more likely to re-injure that same muscle, tendon, ligament. 70. Yeah. So it's it's very high. Ugh. Um, so you need to really pay attention to these old injuries. And that's why on uh, our intake questionnaire for everyone who gets hypertrophy training from us, uh, I always ask about past injuries. I ask about chronic issues, chronic aches and pains. And I ask about uh, mobility because a lot of times people, maybe they won't think about uh, a past injury that they had or they won't think it's important enough to tell me because it wasn't catastrophic. Sure. And then they'll tell me that their hip mobility sucks or their shoulder mobility sucks. They can't they can't get their humerus in line with their ear. So they can't tie a tie. Yeah, but that's just because I'm fat. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> oh, baby, tie tie. Yeah, I was just thinking of like a uh, an example of like a mobility thing. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I'd be curious to know what people assess for mobility. Mm -hmm. I won't even know how to answer that question. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we, and then after that, I, I don't just ask them about their mobility. Obviously, then we do some mobility tests to sure. kind of look at these things. I just want to know where mentally they think they are. Mm. And I've had people put like, you know, I've, it's a one, zero through five and like they'll put their squat or deadlift or bench technique at a five or something. And I, I just, you kind of chuckled to yourself because, even as an elite level lifter, you're not going to put a five. It doesn't matter. Even for me, like I've deadlifted 805. That's over four times body weight. I would put a four. Uh, it's proficient. I am proficient as a deadlifter. It's not perfect. I'm mm. still finding my form. So um, back to the question. <laughs> so this is what a training session would be. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> guys, guys, I, yeah. Um. As a younger lifter, again, let's go back to uh, workload capacity. As a younger lifter, obviously, you're able to put a lot more work in, and you can you can have much higher volume workouts while being able to recover the same as someone who's older. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to be able to grow muscle much faster than someone who is older. Um, you're more than likely going to get stronger faster than someone who's older. So I think... Uh, and this probably comes part and parcel with, you know, just having the extra age, but you're going to have to have a little more patience and you're going to be a little more trusting in the process, mm -hmm. um, which, uh, you know, we don't really love that terminology, trust the process. We, no. we'd prefer to have some, you know, an explanation in there, and, but that's why we never tell clients. We'll have a whole episode on me talking about the phrase, trust yeah, the process. Yeah, yeah. Um, but really that's what it boils down to. You have to trust your coach. Sure. You have to trust absolutely. your coach and you have to trust their process. That yes. You have to trust their vision yes. for your training protocol. Oh, 
Well, you just wrap that up. That's the perfect way to say it. That's yeah. true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because your coach, if, if you have a good coach, they have a vision for how they see your training progress, yeah. whether it's bodybuilding, whether it's powerlifting, doesn't really matter. Um, they have a preconceived notion about where you are and where you're going and how you're going to get there. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're struggling, ask questions. Ask them what the plan is. Yeah. Like what what yes. What's the reason for programming this? Yes. And what's next? What's the progression? You're allowed to ask those things. Yes. Okay. It's not going to offend. Well, it, it would not offend me as your coach if you were to ask me, why am I doing this? You know, I've, I've actually had clients say, like, uh, I feel like I have a lot of lower body work. I have compound, you know, what's like, what's the plan? What's what's yes. going on here? Yes. And after I explain it to them, they're like, okay, that makes a ton of sense. Thank you very much for explaining. And it's time to hit the ground running. Yeah. You know? So, again, you, you, you want to have a coach that you trust. Uh, and either way, because I think teenagers can be a little more gung-ho and they are impatient, you know, sure. as kids are. And they can push a little too hard too fast um, because they feel invincible. Yeah. I think the older population might push a little too hard too fast because um, they feel like progress isn't happening fast enough. So it's really the same thing. Younger and older, progress isn't happening fast enough for me mentally. So really, you have to develop the patience. So I think the biggest probably consideration that you're going to have as an athlete is just your, uh, your history. Mm-hmm. you know as a as a person and as a musculoskeletal unit um and if you're still pr- in pristine condition then you're probably going to progress like more very similar to a younger athlete but so if all things are the same would you modify training for a teenage novice athlete versus a master's novice athlete would there be some changes that you I would probably have a slightly longer warm-up slash mobility routine for the master's athlete. Sure, because they have versus, more years on their body. And and yes, and we, generally speaking, develop repetitive movement patterns. That makes that, sense. Um, yeah, that, that decrease your mobility. Sure. Um, whereas when you're younger, you your body hasn't tightened up as much yet. So... I think it's probably not as necessary. You still want to do some mobility stuff to retain that mobility. But um, yeah, the programming is probably going to look pretty similar, especially for powerlifting. I think for bodybuilding, volume is probably going to be a little higher for younger athletes versus older athletes. Um, But for powerlifting, um, powerlifting is so heavily predicated on on your progress from the previous week Mm. and your feedback from the previous week that... um, the program itself would probably look very, very similar, but the progression might be a different pace. Sure. Oh, that's a great answer. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, sorry for my roundabout rant. Um, <laughs> I talk a lot. <laughs> so even when I'm not caffeinated, you should see me in the gym. Oh, yeah. No, that's a great answer. And that's a that's good advice on, like, getting started. And there are so many variables that sometimes it's hard to just categorize it on, like, older versus younger because like you said there's a history there Mm -hmm. i i don't know that age is the biggest variable that i'm concerned with i yes i that would make sense i have a a high schooler who has a torn acl Mm -hmm. or had you know so we have to be very very careful about that um and i have older athletes who have had zero injuries ever Mm. and we train hard we train hard and heavy 
Um, so yeah, it, it's it's heavily um, dictated by it's 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 still very very person dependent. Um, but like for the gen pop person who's thinking about going to Planet Fitness, I think you're gonna do just fine listening to your body. You know, mm-hmm. uh, make sure you're getting good sleep. Um, that's another aspect. I think like as we get older, it gets harder to get a good night's sleep. Agreed. Whether it's because of stress, whether it's because of it naturally pains, like it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and then and then adults, everyone's like, oh well, you know, now I'm older, I only need six hours of sleep. No, you actually need just as much as these kids. You know, like you still need your eight hours of sleep. Well, they have said that it decl- your ability to sleep declines as you age. Mm-hmm. Your duration of sleep declines as you age. So take cat naps. Be Albert Einstein. He would fall asleep with a spoon in his mouth and a plate in his lap. What? And when, when he'd fall asleep enough and the spoon fell out and hit the plate to wake him back up. And that's how he would take power naps. <laughs> so sleep like Albert Einstein. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. And on that note. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. So, so make sure your sleep is on point. Make sure your nutrition is on point. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm saying. That's good. Okay. That answers a bunch of our questions and we're past an hour. So... Uh, I think we'll wrap up this round three Q&A episode. If you like us, please leave a rating or a review. Those mean so much to us. Yeah, they, be, they help a lot. Yeah, it, it really is such very encouraging to see like some positivity um, attributed to our specific podcast. Um, so if yeah, go feel free to do that if you like who we are. Um, did you have any closing thoughts? I didn't even ask you that before. No, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. If you're interested in training, um, TC does hypertrophy training. I do contest prep coaching. Uh, we work in tandem with clients or we offer services individually as well. Um, so you can go to recklesstraining.com to look at information there. Or if you have specific questions, Related to a service that you're looking for, you can um, feel free to DM us on Instagram. Our uh, company Instagram is reckless underscore training. TC is at longshot gamble, and I am Chris Nicole underscore IFBB pro. All of that um, is on the reckless training Instagram, anyways. But um, I think. Um, another thing that's unique to our company, I think, is sure. the fact that we, um, uh, I like working with other prep coaches. Um, yeah. Because we split up the responsibilities. Um, if you already have a prep coach that you absolutely love and you don't, do not want to leave them, um, but you would like some extra help in either hypertrophy training or strength training or mo- mobility assessments or anything like that. We do have an add-on package um, to hire me as your hypertrophy coach and retain the use of your prep coach. Yeah. So some sometimes the coaches will drop your price for the prep coaching uh, because they no longer have to do the hypertrophy work. Um but it's it's very detailed. You know, we do a bunch of mobility assessments. Obviously, like we've talked about, I ask for video submissions, and we work on your technique together. Um, it's it's very it's all encompassing. You know. Yeah, so. we've got some good feedback from the coaches that you've collaborated with, so it's yeah. definitely an option to consider. It's yeah, not not uh, everywhere in the prep space. Mm-hmm. But yes, um, so I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so.
thank you guys for listening and tuning in. Happy Valentine's Day. Today is the day that TC sent me the first message on Instagram four years ago. <laughs> I did not know it was Valentine's Day. <laughs> not the most romantic person in the world? No, it's it was actually uh, a very... It's. I went back and I looked at the messages today. It was very fortuitous. We just respected each other. It was not romantic at all. And now we're here. So, happy Valentine's Day. Start on the gram. Now we're here. <laughs> so, if you listen to this whole podcast, you got a little <laughs> extra at the end. The Easter eggs. <laughs> but, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. And take us out, TC. And just remember, work hard. Stay humble. Train reckless. <laughs>